So I, I think we can circle back to the, um, the ethical aspect, but that I'll jump to the next topic because that's just such a good tie-in for it. Um, I was listening to, and honestly, I don't know, it was just something that popped up on Instagram and some, I guess, celebrity or something. He was pretty obese and he was saying how he's like, you know, it's clearly not a willpower thing. You know, he was worth, I don't know how many millions of dollars, but like very wealthy, whatever. He's like, it's, it's clearly not a willpower thing. You see how hard I work here. You see, I do this. It's not a willpower thing. I just, you know, it's self-hatred or I don't think I deserve to be healthy, whatever. And I thought that was kind of BS. I mean, I'm sure there are instances where, yeah, maybe somebody just doesn't think they're worth it or, you know, whatever. But I, I think in most cases, it's just that there's different, willpower can apply to different things in life, right? Like it doesn't actually take me much willpower. And I've told this story before, but I had a friend in, uh, in college and somebody complimented me and said, wow, you have such willpower. And he said, well, I don't know if it's really willpower at this point. It's mostly just a habit. And at the time, I was like kind of proud of my willpower. So I was like, oh, no, it is willpower. But in reality, it's harder to not exercise, right? I mean, at this point, it's not really willpower. I mean, obviously, there are times where you need the willpower to really push, maybe you're really tired, whatever. But for the most part, it's just our lifestyle. And I think in contrast to what this obese celebrity guy was saying is that I think you could absolutely have willpower in business or willpower in this and still not have the willpower to put the fork down or have the willpower to get to the gym. They're different things. And people also experience difficulty. Some people thrive at the gym and aren't successful anywhere else in life, right? I mean, their whole life is a mess, but they're an IFBB pro. So uh, just like a general discussion here on differences in willpower in different areas. Yeah. Uh, um, I, 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 ooh, you, you go then. No. Well, I, I think sometimes people assume that I have way more willpower than I actually do. <laughs> um, like they'll see me do a set, they'll be like, man, that took a lot of willpower. Uh, did it though? Like it's kind of just what I do, right? It can be a genuinely all out effort and it can look like a complete war. It can look like hell, but it's my hell. It's where I am rewarded. It's where I you know, have control over and I've just had that, I guess you could say it's, you know, that dopamine release of like getting rewarded by doing sets. And it's almost like this upward spiral where you do the hard set, you feel good. You also feel bad, but you still feel good and you see the results. And so you keep doing it. And so I think in a lot of other areas, you know, I, I kind of struggle with willpower, like dieting for me is, is a lot harder than bulking up. And that's where it does take willpower, but I can still, sort of set that spark that alights the fire through using my that same mentality that I used for training in other areas of life. Like you do see some people, all they do is lift and it doesn't apply to other areas of life. But other people, you see them lift and then they do copy and paste that mentality over to business or over to content creation. We're over to the relationships. And so I think all young men should do some physical activity because it's something that you have control over. That is, you can guide your destiny and you can use that to show that putting in the work actually does result in physical changes and that does actually apply to other areas of life as well. And so, you know, I still struggle with some other aspects of you know, content creation or business or productivity or not procrastinating and that kind of thing. But I have found that lifting helps my life 
in a lot of other ways as well. And so maybe it doesn't take as much willpower in terms of lifting anymore, but I have found that it does have carryover for other areas of my life. Um, so if, if I can jump in, I, the reason I wanted to like awkwardly jump in like I did, because I anticipated that I'm going to be maybe the only one who will say that like, uh, that I just don't see a big correlation. Um, because I was, I said this in, um, Jesus. Okay. I'm blanking on the, the name of the guy who interviewed me. Um, he interviewed Jeff as well. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you guys were on his podcast, the breaking beta. Podcast, right? oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, so I told him when, when he talked about like basically uh, leading your fitness success, like bleed into other areas of your life. Like, like, do you, do you see that um, improvement there? And I said, like, honestly, I, I just never saw that I got better at other things b because of fitness. I, the only thing is maybe like, like girls liking me on the beach, but like, and men, <laughs> maybe more so, <laughs> but uh <laughs> So, that's why we live right yeah i mean um but uh the honestly for me when i'm dieting uh sometimes for example i would be a bit more productive that i have noticed because like it was useful to like i would have like a more regimented routine often so it would be like okay i'm sitting there enjoying a nice coffee and then i can be productive um enjoying the coffee more as well because like it, it's good and stimulating and has no calories right um but like as i was getting better at the gym like no often i would be just like get really obsessive over the whole lifting topic and instead of like studying when i was in college and then like or working i would be like on forums and watching youtube videos and stuff like that so i i didn't see that and as far as like so the willpower thing, again, NH will probably have some interesting inputs here because it, it's a somewhat philosophical topic as well. But like, I'm not sure if um, there really is such a thing as, as willpower or it's just some ability to tap into the pressure of the situation or like the motivation you have regarding something or having an emotional pull towards something and then the right environment. So for example, I had this conversation with my wife, actually, that uh, she was like praising me of like how amazing I am at like, uh, just I put my mind at it. And I'm just, I just go through a cut and, and I'm so disciplined. And I was saying that like, honestly, I don't think it's that like, I think that my advantage compared to you is that you're a very confident person that is very comfortable with herself. And even though like, yeah, like she could lose some weight, but like it, she still knows that she's a very attractive woman. So and it just not, not going to ruin anything. I don't have that self-belief in myself. Like, no, like I, I feel like I have a ton of flaws. I have some insecurities about them and I try to make up for them wherever I can by doing things like this. So like the fact that I'm a bit of a broken soul, that, that is my advantage compared to you. Uh, that, that's what I was saying. And the thing is with her, she, so she doesn't have that, but like if someone held a gun to her head, like, okay, listen, like I'm going to shoot you in the head. And by the way, kidnapped your family. I'm going to shoot them in the head as well. If you're not losing, but first your family, right? Cause, and then her, um, if you're not losing whatever 10 kilos in, I don't know, two months or something, she would do it. I have no doubts. Like it's, it's not like 
she literally lacks the ability to will herself to do things. It's just like her motivations are not strong enough. And then, of course, there is the environment factor. So, like, yes, I have this advantage compared to her now. But, like, if I was, like, living in in some house where they're all, always serving the tastiest, most delicious stuff with really tempting, like, scents and flavors and everything it would be a lot harder for me and it would be a lot easier for her if she was like having her meals made that are all like super low calorie and everything. So yeah. I think that's a general trend. I mean, like there's certainly a lot of ego and narcissism in the fitness industry as well. But I think that most people who take it really seriously, there's oftentimes an insecurity that pushes them to push so far. Right. I, I mean, I think like the level of anxiety and depression I see in the fitness industry probably surpasses that i've seen anywhere else you know it, it's just very uh very frequently seen that part of it is also it's a scenario where people are going to talk about it more frequently and, and whatnot as well but i think a lot of people it stems from i mean for a while that was what powerlifting was it was like niche guys who didn't necessarily make it in their high school sports so they had this the group of outliers and everybody just kind of hung out and and you know that like i don't know if that's much the case now but i know for years i heard many powerlifters talk like that so um i think it often does come from flaws elsewhere yeah it's you need an incentive uh, for the most part what people call willpower is just an incentive at which case i don't know if it really qualifies like abel was saying a fighter of five that knows that if he doesn't wake up at five to go through his job his family will not eat it's not necessarily motivated to go to work. He just doesn't have a choice. You have to do it. And that will only last you as long as the insecurity lasts. So if the goal of the gym is to get rid of that insecurity, then at some point you most likely will quit. And that's something that actually we see a lot because the vast majority of people quit once they become intermediate. Why is that? Well, it's because their incentive is gone. They wanted to look better. They wanted to get stronger than the vast majority of the population. They got it. They leave. Then you have the ones that remain. Why do they remain? Well, maybe because their insecurity is, is deeply rooted and it will never actually go away. Right? I know that I am like this, where I don't see myself the way I am. You can call this body dysmorphia, but when I picture myself, I still, look, I still see myself when I was 14. And I don't think that this is ever going to change. So I'm still going to continuously walk. Then there's the there's people like Geoff, for example. Why does he keep going? Well, it could be because he actually likes what he does, right? When you love the thing that you do, you don't need an incentive because the doing the thing is the incentive in itself. I know that I also am in a position now where I've fixed myself enough that even if I stop getting gains, I would still lift. I wouldn't stop lifting because it's something that brings me great joy. So it doesn't require me any willpower. I think that the best lifters get to a point where they transform that willpower into discipline, where it now becomes a machine that you don't even have to turn on. It's always on. But some people don't have that. And if you're the type of person that doesn't have that, yeah, you most likely will not get very far because your willpower at the start was not lacking, but you failed to transform it into something that was actually going to be more conducive to you sticking to it for a long time. And that also comes from the environment. Some people were never taught willpower or they were never taught discipline. These are not genetic traits. They are things that you can learn. I think that anyone who comes from immigrant backgrounds knows this. Because for me, I know that some people allow their lifting to bleed into other aspects and they become better like this. 
For me, it was the other way around. I allowed my academic prowess to bleed into lifting because for my parents, it was school, grades. You have to be top of your class. You have to study. So when I started lifting, I was like, all right, I got really good at school doing this. So I'm going to apply the same principles I did to my lifting. I was very regimented from the start and that, that, that took me very far. It took me to where I am today. I do not apply this ethic and this type of motivation to my job. I can guarantee you that. I, I'm very relaxed when it comes to business because it's simply not something I care about. And this is the last piece. You are going to be actually diligent towards things that you care about, like Abel's wife. My wife is the same. She hates lifting. She, she does like 20 reps of good morning. She's like, I'm good for a week. But recently I asked her, hey, could you do an organigram for me for my job? I need this. She was dead silent for five hours. I had no idea what she was doing. Then she came to me with like a, a book thick like this of organigrams she did in five hours because it's something that she loves. So it was willpower immediately because it was conducive to something that she actually feels comfortable doing and she enjoys. Women. If Jeff, you had something you wanted to say or I'm going to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think sometimes willpower and discipline and habits and motivation, all these things sort of intertwine and one can cause the other and, and you can sort of have to fall back on one and then rely on the other more and other times. And, you know, if, if my situation in life changed drastically, yeah, I might need to rely on willpower a lot more than I do now. I mean, right now I, I don't really need to rely on willpower. Maybe I said willpower before. But it's more, yeah, the, the habit and the discipline and, and the enjoyment of it. I mean, it's the highlight of my day. I don't really, I mean, I, yeah, I would need willpower to hold back from going to the gym, um, which is part of the reason why I like training six or seven days a week. Um, but if my situation changed drastically for some reason, um, yeah, I, it might need to, uh, I might need to summon up willpower to get things moving, at least temporarily. Um, but I think once you have that willpower muscle and you know how to flex it, you never really lose that. Some people never get it, but you never lose it. It's like riding a bike. Once you have it, it's there. It's there for life. And you can use that as you need it, as you see fit, whether it's lifting or something else, when you do really need it. Yeah, I, I used to think like, uh, and I, maybe just because this is what some people say, I'd think, oh, well, you know, the most successful people also work out diligently and whatnot. And obviously, there are those examples of these kind of like hyper performers and whatnot. But I don't, I, I think I tend to agree with Abel that I don't know if I necessarily see that correlation, honestly. Um, like I have a lot of physician friends who are successful in business who just don't get to the gym or just successful in other areas of life. They don't work out. Like I said, I know a lot of people who are really gym obsessed who I would consider not very successful people. And I, I think I just used, as many of us do, I used myself as an example. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I push really hard with work. I push really hard with academia. I push really hard with the gym. And that, that that's I got that from the gym. But I really don't think that's the case. I, I mean, um, and you know, Abel and I talk about like Jordan Peterson, a big five personality test. I don't know how familiar. I'm sure NH are at least familiar with it. I don't know your background with it, Jeff. But, um, you know, it's not surprising that I score very high on conscientiousness. And that, I mean, I, I can literally remember being like seven or eight years old and a summer break and just being like, well, I'm just going to vacuum the house. And it just, it felt good to get stuff done. And that's just kind of how I am. 
You're free to come over to do the do stuff like this here anytime. By the way, um, but but that's also it, it. I don't know if I would call this willpower. There's like a OCD trait I have where if I don't do it, I have a problem. Like I like I was at work until I got up at five forty five yesterday morning. I got to work at six forty five. I was there until eight forty five p.m. So I was there for fourteen hours, even though I stopped seeing patients at four thirty because. There was stuff I had to do, quote unquote, had to do stuff I felt I had to do because I wanted the tasks completed and I wanted to, it done the way I wanted it done. Um, yeah. I don't think that just comes because I work out. You know, I, I think that's just a trait <laughs> in me. And I don't think I could teach that to somebody either. You know, if, if somebody just doesn't care, how do I just get them to care? You know, it's, I think it's, it's more inherent. And, and Dave, uh, sorry, just just a brief question. This is gonna be so, Dave. When you do, when you did that yesterday, did you like in the like, let's say between hour eleven and fourteen, did you think to yourself, like, man, I, I cannot fucking believe that I, that I'm doing. Like, I'm I'm gonna break down crying at any moment. Like, this cannot go on like this. Like, I I'm gonna do this today, but not next week. Like, do you? Maybe not them, but like, do you ever have thoughts like this or it feels natural and even good? <laughs> um, I'd say it's both. It, I do it because it would be a more negative emotion to not do it, right? If I were to leave and those were incomplete, that would bother me. And I wouldn't be able to sit here and enjoy talking to you guys because I know that tasks were left incomplete. So I, I call it closing the loop in my head. Um, with that said, definitely when it's like, you know, my fourth day in a row that I'm there for 11 or 12 hours. It's more like I would have to find a way for these tasks to be completed by delegating perhaps. Right. Um, but they'd still have to be done. Like I just, I would be uncomfortable with it stuff. Just if I was just living my life at a B minus, you know, and, and some people are totally fine with that. They go through high school, they get B's and C's and they go through college, they get B's and C's and that's, that's fine. I just, it would really get to me, but, but I'm not going to act like I'm a robot where I'm like, you know, it's just all, all I do or all I want to do. There's other times where I'm like, no, you know, if I have a family of like three kids in the future, I can't be coming home at 9 PM four or five days a week. Right. Like, so there has to be a time where I, I adjust. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I think that now the next question is, yeah, was it learned or were you born like this? Some people argue that you're born <laughs> like this, right? You are, you're conditioned from birth to be someone who is going to want to get the work done, which is sort of, it's a, it's a dark future because this would mean that there were people who don't want that. And if you look today at the modern culture, we have an anti-work culture where it looks like a lot of people don't want to do anything. Like even the slightest amount of work is an inconvenience to them. I don't think that these people are the polar opposite of you. I think that you're someone who managed to find a way to ease his anxiety through productivity. I think that these people also suffer from a different form of anxiety, but the type of productivity they're forced to go through doesn't align with what they like. So it doesn't make them feel better. It makes them feel even worse. Applied to fitness, I think that this means that for you, for anyone to get the results that they want, they have to find what will work for them. We do too many cookie cutter programs, cookie cutter approaches to fitness, where you'll hear people say, oh, I have to force myself into the gym for the results. I hate it. I don't know about you guys. Personally, I've never checked the clock when I'm in the gym. I've never been like, oh, I still have an hour left. I still have six left. I check the clock because I know that my wife wants me home before nine. 
Right? Yeah. She wants me in the house before nine. That's it. That's why I check the clock. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could stay longer because I enjoy what I'm doing. I think that pretty much anyone can do that in this modern world and in the gym. We can all find things that we enjoy. And we're not going to get too far into this. It's just that we live in a system nowadays where we need certain people to do certain jobs and certain tasks. It doesn't align with the way they like it. So they think they hate work. It's not that they hate work. They hate being forced to do something they don't like. I think that if anyone else was placed in your position, Dave, as to do patient stuff and then do the filing, all of this data thing, people would go insane. They'll, they'll, they'll be screaming at the windows, let me out. I want to go home. You are like, you're enjoy this. I don't know how you function when you work. For me, when I enjoy myself, I, disso I dissociate. I don't even exist anymore. I'm just the task. I'm just doing the task. And if no one is there to remind me, I can keep doing it until I pass out. A flow state. Yeah, that's the flow state. And once you reach this, it's not about willpower anymore because it just goes, it flows. Yeah. yeah, I do look at the clock during cardio, <laughs> but but during yeah. weight training, yeah, it can go. And actually, just like after this, I'm going to lift. And I've noticed that this workout I do at home, it's like two hours. And but it's not like for one, I, I'm not doing like you do NH with like supersets constantly. But part of it is just like I don't, I'm fine. I, I could do it in probably 75 minutes, but I, it's just like I'm here, I'm enjoying it, I'm like taking my time with it. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's not something I have to get through and, uh, I do think it's really tough for people who can't find that. And this is why I always say progressive overload is so great because it, it is inherently a positive feedback that what you're doing is working. Um, this is why I think it's almost impossible to separate the genetics from willpower thing. Cause it's like Jeff has had, as you said earlier, Jeff, like you have positive feedback because your results have been so good, right? It's an upward spiral. And so somebody who's not getting the results and, and this can go back to the, um, you know, the, the ethics topic of like, if you're that's really right. trying and you're not getting good results and then people are told like, well, that's because you're not trying hard enough. Well, that's a negative emotion. And it's, it's very tough because it, it you go towards what you're good at. So um, it, it I, I would expect to sort out the, the exact, you know, distinguishing factor between genetics and motivation. But obviously, Jeff, in your case, you're really getting a ton of feedback from, from comments. I mean, I know you get some trolls too, but you know, you, you get like lots of good comments and we're telling you how jacked you are. Like it, it makes sense that that's going to stimulate you to go even further. Yeah. And I think it's one of those situations where if you have a carrot, it has to be at least somewhat nearby you. If you mm -hmm. see a carrot and it's way off, you know, on a mountaintop, it's just not worth it, right? It's just too far away. It's just not going to do anything. It has to be just out of reach. And then another slightly bigger carrot just out of reach in front of that one. And you need that trail of breadcrumbs that leads you to where you want to go. And so, yeah, I, I try to be, you know, honest and realistic with people. And I, I would never say, oh yeah, like do this plan to get my physique, right? Um, because that carriage is so far to reach that, you know, they're going to spend three months with nothing like me and then, you know, give up, right? So it's actually counterproductive for helping them. Greg Knuckles actually said something on the Stronger by Science podcast where he was talking about saving money. And for some people, it's hard to save money, right? They, they like spending money. And he said, it's actually not difficult to save money. I feel better when I save money. And I'm the same way. I feel better when I don't spend money. And other people, they feel best when they spend money. So it's either instant gratification or delayed gratification, but everyone is going for the highest gratification. We just know that if we delay it, 
for us, for whatever reason, it's going to be bigger. Whereas if someone has always had instant gratification and they've never pushed themselves to get that delayed bigger gratification, they've never gotten that giant fucking tasty marshmallow. That's of course, <laughs> of course, they're going to go for that delayed gratification. They're going to go the easy route. They're going to start taking PEDs after three weeks. They're going to start, you know, doing whatever it takes to feel good right now. And that is modern social media. That is just the modern person in the gym. That is just the modern human being, just the typical person who is always trying to feel good right now. You can't think about, okay, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And that's what we're trying to push. You can go way further than you think, but it's not going to be right away. It's going to take time. And to rebound on this, um, uh, thank you. So just to rebound on this, because I don't want to forget, uh, Geoff said something very interesting beforehand when we talked about willpower, where he said that everyone should be lifting because it teaches you very important things in life. And I think that this also correlates. This idea of the bigger marshmallow is exactly what natural lifting does to you. It makes you realize, hey, I might not get everything that I want right now, but if I keep working, eventually the goal will be big. Recently, I was listening to a guy who plays video games. He plays Tekken. It's a fighting game. And he was saying, in this game, when you start, you suck. You get comboed. You get one-shotted by people who know better. And a lot of people, when they start, they say, well, the game is unbalanced. Clearly, I should be much better by now. And the guy was like, no, no, that's not how it works. You climb the mountain, climb the mountain, climb the mountain, until one day, suddenly, you're really good. It's what I said previously about getting buff. Not everything is leaner. It might be leaner on paper, but in your head, it's not what's happening. Lifting might actually mimic this, where once you get that big reward, it will be extremely easy in the future to keep saving like a scroll because you know you'll get a payback. If you don't allow yourself to get that payback, however, and you you, you crack, you fell, you take PEDs or you give up early because you're like, I deserve this right now. You're teaching yourself how to get to be spoiled. And now you'll never get that big reward ever. This is why lifting is so key is because whatever you get is going to be your responsibility. Some people will get it faster than others, but we'll all get something at some point if we try um it's so so one thing and actually it's funny because you guys keep bringing up lifting examples and i was constantly thinking about other other examples where um so i'm trying to always see the disconnect in my case for example because there are things where i was always like very from an onlooker like very hard working yet from my perspective i just uh, obsessively did something that i either really enjoyed or there was some really strong compulsion that made me do it either self-inflicted or external um, or pressure rather. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, for example, with studying, I was always like, I was a procrastinator always. Like um, there were times when I was a better or worse student, but even when I was a good student, still, I was always a procrastinator, like hated studying and uh, was, was like as lazy at it as I could within the constraints and my goals and whatever. But would rather frequently, actually, I would modify my goals rather so that I could be lazy because I just disliked it so much. So what's the difference between that and, let's say, lifting? Well, part of it is that, like, uh, probably, like, at lifting, I was just naturally better at than, say, at, like, mm, organic chemistry, let's say. So that's one part of it. Um, another part of it is, though, that I think with some so – probably that's an ability as well to, like, tap – to actually be able to understand 
um, the, the the consequences and and the actual pressure that is there, even though it's not like right now, but like let's say a week from now. So, you know, if I knew that, okay, like here is this um, like cliff note. The teacher went outside during this exam read this that's written here that's the correct answer then you will pass the exam and great you can go and enjoy your summer holiday i would obviously be not lazy to read that little note right so like i would need no willpower like i'm just the best opportunity of my life on a weekend when i could either study or go outside to do something probably i would have been even lazy to read that small little note so what's the difference like i very clearly understood that like okay like I can do this and then I can survive. In the other case, like it was too far removed. So I don't know what that, uh, that comes down to. Is that, is, is that like, I don't know, uh, um, an intelligence thing? Is that a conscientiousness something? It, it is, uh, or, or maybe like intellect, like understand the complexity of like, just because it's farther in the future, it's still here in a way. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but. Probably that's an aspect of it as well. I don't know if you guys have some thought on that. Well, the marshmallow test that Jeff was referencing is one where you put a marshmallow in front of a kid and you tell them, hey, if you don't eat it, you'll have more in the future. Yeah. The test is really difficult for children because they don't have the ability to understand what the future is. They can't abstract that this marshmallow will become two or three or five. So they say, well, I'll have it right now. Right? It's in front of me. So it's better. I don't necessarily think it's an intelligence thing. It's just that until you're taught, right, by a sensation, a reward that you can get more, then you won't know it. It's uh, it's 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 very interesting because uh, it's something that Jeff said also. Where it's not necessarily that people who choose delay gratification are more wise; they still go for the highest gratification. It's just that they know it's there because they've tasted it once. It might be that for you in your academic career, you never quite tasted the big marshmallow, so you only took the small ones. Which, in a sense, you That's could con- true. <laughs> you you could construe as intelligence. You took what was there. It remind me. It reminded me of, uh, of something that happened to me in class, where I had a friend who was so lazy academically that he wouldn't even copy the answers off of my own test right there. Like I would push it towards him, and he was like, "Too much work." This is the extreme of when you've had so little marshmallow that you've stopped believing in the existence of the marshmallow. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, it's so interesting to see like, where does that come from? Because um, even when I was young, I remember my family took us to Disney when I was a little kid and my dad said, okay, here's a hundred dollars and you can spend this, you know, but whatever you don't spend, you can keep. So I came home after a week and I had like $87 left. Like I just saved it. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, I bought my first stock. You know, I put $500 into McDonald's stock and I just to see it grow. And now it's like, you know, $3,000 or whatever. Right. And I, I always thought I would use that as a example to future kids on the, you know, uh, benefits of compound interest and whatnot. But I've always just kind of been like that, you know, and like, even when I, I was in middle school, it was like, yeah, I, I guess like I was just getting big B's and C's as well. Um, other than the math, I was always doing very well. But then when I went to high school, I moved to a new place. And again, my dad was like, well, I'll give you this small amount for every A you get. And I was like, all right, I have nothing better to do. And I hear some positive feedback and then literally just straight the rest of my life. So it was like, it was taught, but it was also inherent. And it was also, you know, maybe conditioned through my dad, who was a very conscientious person. Like I look back at like when my dad had like 
two small kids and he was in law school and he was running a business and like it's just not everybody's like that um so how do you parse out that you know obviously like i think if i was the same person but born to a single mother in like an inner city i would not be anywhere where i am today right and you take that same like inner city kid you put him in a great place i mean there's a lot of data on this and how that actually does turn out but it, it's it's pretty clearly mixed right yeah and that's it, that's pretty interesting sir i'll go ahead Oh, it, it could also, I'm, I'm just going to say this because I'm going to go into a rent if I don't, but it could very well be that in the, this like inner city environment, there are a ton of kids who are just like you, who are conscious, who have a high consciousness level, but through experience, they've realized that in this environment, it doesn't work. Because if you apply a future-oriented mindset in one where everyone is present-oriented, you constantly get your marshmallows taken away from you because saving is actually not the right option. It's immediate consumption that works. So these kids, their natural inclination gets shifted into something that is not actually conducive to delayed gratification because it's what is the best for survival right now. Yep. Yeah. What are you going to say, John? Um, well, I was just going to say that I do think that you can get this feedback loop of, oh, you see results, and then there you do it more, and you see more results, et cetera. But thinking back to my time as a distance runner, I didn't compete. I didn't post anything on social media. I wasn't even that good, especially at first. I was just the kid on the cross-country team who ran way, way too hard in training. Like I was known as, I remember my first run, I ran it as hard as I could, and people were like, what are you doing? This is training. Like you're supposed to just like, you know, an easy run, but I couldn't do easy runs. I just, I couldn't do it. I would try, I would start with running easy. And then, you know, five or 10 minutes later, I'm out hammering along. And it was the same thing with lifting. Right. And so maybe there is something innate there as well, because there was no feedback loop. There was no one who taught me that, you know, the coaches were trying to, get me to stop that because I was getting injured and stuff. Um, but so I don't know, maybe, maybe there is some kind of innate cause, cause yeah, it's hard to say there must be something nurture as well as nature there. There's definitely a combination. Um, it's just maybe that percentage is going to be different for every single task. What matters after this, I think is, is the impact of the environment. But what Dave said with the inner city environment is interesting because YouTube fitness is like this as well. Delayed gratification is not encouraged on YouTube fitness. You're taught to get things as fast as possible. And I, I must remind ourselves that we are a minority. Right? If you compound all of our subscribers together within the Nobonaris, we're not even 10% of all of these big pages run by PD users. What they teach their followers is the exact opposite of what we teach them. They teach them, hey, get as much as you can right now. Use any means that you can. And that infects the mind eventually because I'll use another analogy of my past. But when I was a kid, we would get candy. When we go to summer vacation, we would get a ton of candy by everyone in the family. I would save them. My cousin would eat them all. And eventually, he would start eating mine. So I was forced to behave exactly like him and eat mine as fast as possible because th there was like a limited amount of resources. I feel like this is the way people work on YouTube fitness nowadays. They think, oh, I have so much time to get the gains and it's limited. So I must do everything in my power to get as much as possible, as quickly as possible, which naturally leads to PDUs. It naturally leads to really dangerous behaviors because at no point you are encouraged to take your time because you're told, hey, 
if you don't get it now, someone else will eat your candy. So yeah, like TikTok clip there of just like the 10 seconds of NH saying we are a minority and it's four tall white no. men saying <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you forgot to mention handsome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um so yeah, like if just one final thing, like just funny that NH mentioned the YouTube channel thing. Like I if if someone asks me like what what are you the most proud of in your life? Um probably in the first uh, probably top three my youtube channel with this like relatively small subscriber account would be there because that is something that i worked so much on during times when basically like everything that we talked about like what do you need to be motivated like all of that was missing almost like so it was not working like i was like under 500 subscribers still um and it and it was not going up either so it was like if you check my thing on like social blade like how fast it went up but it was like like this for like two like two years or something um and i definitely didn't have any kind of pressure like i mean what like i had no subscribers to take care of nobody expected me to do it certainly no one pressured me in my environment i didn't really have a good like i didn't particularly think that my content ideas were that good like from like a strategic point of view so like everything sucked about the whole thing and when I watched back my videos, I was cringing. So, so everything sucked. And I still like forced myself to make, make videos when I didn't feel like it, to like reach out to people for podcasts and everything and very, very slowly. So it was like not, so it was not like the gains, for example, that we often see. It was, there was not a boom moment. Like it was very slow, linear, but very, very slow. And the fact that I still stuck with it, that, that might be the thing that I'm the most proud of. Cause like, if I think of like, where did I have to use the most like real, like willpower and not rely on compulsion and like feedback and, and, and even the enjoyment of the process or whatever, it was this. So I'm glad yeah. you did. I'm glad you did because you were one of the first channels that I stumbled Stop across. It. Just kidding. Probably um, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, when wow. I was just getting into Oh, wow. That, yeah. yeah I, I distinctly remember, crazy. you know, interviews with, with Menno and, and, you know, a lot of other guys. So how long were you watching before you started your YouTube channel, Jeff? Uh, I started it. I started September, 2019. And okay. then I gave up, I gave up cause I was, you know, getting five views per video and stuff like that. And then I yeah. restarted it in <laughs> March 20, no, February, 2020. Um, and I grew pretty quickly cause I had people trickling in from Quora, um, which helped um and then it's been you know pretty had it so you when did you start quora uh also september 2019 that's interesting so it just like any clear difference of why it was much more successful the second time i think i had a, some momentum because i had people at that point i probably had i don't know 50 or 60 million views on quora and wow. a, a view on quora is not a view on anywhere else it's like sure. i don't know how to I don't know how, how like, they not like that. having that on YouTube. Yeah, it's optimistic. Let's put it that way. Um, so I don't mention core views, but I probably I had, you know, a decent following there. And then I remember linking it to my YouTube under every single one of my answers. Because mm -hmm. eventually I was like, screw this, I'm just gonna convert over to YouTube. This is getting, you know, tiresome. Yeah. And so I I put my YouTube link and my Instagram link in, in every single answer that I wrote in like January, 2020. 
for Chinese New Year. And then, um, you know, it just sort of took off from there. And NH, how long have you been at it? So watching, uh, I've been on YouTube forever. I mean, um, every single fitness channel we can think of, I've watched. So from the start, then I created my channel in 2020. Um, and oh, what's really? interesting is that, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was the January, the first month of 2020. It's three years old. But interestingly enough, I don't want people to think that my channel quote unquote blew up because I'm that good or I'm, I'm that hardworking. It's because I used devious ways to get my channels to grow. There's no such thing oh, as yeah. organic growth on YouTube. People who think, oh, the cream rises to the top. No, no, no. The cheater rises to the top. I put comments <laughs> under every single video known to men. That's how my channel grew. I got my first thousand subscribers off of comments. My analytics was like, None of your videos are getting views or subscribers, but suddenly you have people coming in. Why? They clicked on my comments, they clicked subscribe. That's yeah. how I got started. That's how you do, you make it on YouTube. Some you people's get some- titles are like that. They're like, you know, 999,999 subscribers or something like that. That's the actual title of the channel or stuff like that just to get people to like yeah. click. Dude, yeah. There are so many ways you can go about it. You can get a fake check mark because people, it's social proof. People yeah, yeah. love things oh, that are yeah. official. So you, you create a fake check mark by just typing it next to your name and it actually works. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People will subscribe, but all of that to show also that even for this YouTube thing, it's a game of rewards because I don't think I would be making videos still if I had 300 subscribers and 80 views per video. At some point, it's like, why am I even doing this? I'm screaming into the void. No one is listening to me. We need that upward momentum even on YouTube. And I would like to share with you, gentlemen, a proverb, a Russian proverb that I like very much because it, it sort of encapsulates everything we just spoke about. I won't say it in Russian because I don't speak Russian, but in English it would go like this. The same water that boils the potato hardens the egg. What it means is that the environment and the stimulus will have a different impact depending on the person. Something that is going to stimulate me is not going to stimulate you. I know that, for example... I personally don't respond positively to nice comments. Someone who tells me, oh, you're big, you're this, I don't care about that, I already know it. But adversity, that fires me up. I like to prove people wrong. I like to make people eat their words. That's what motivates me. That's fun to me. Then you have people who boil their own potatoes. Geoff doesn't need that external motivation. He just gets it done. And I think that this is sort of the key. Once you find your type of motivation, you're set. Yeah, Jeff just had, I think you did, you just have a post on that and how you you basically get motivated by people telling you you can't do something. Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of enjoying it and then also, you know, if someone says you won't be able to do this, yeah, it is rewarding. And people generally respond better to the stick rather than the carrot. Like I talked about the carrot being just out of reach. Well, if the stick, if there's a guy with, you know, a stick right behind you trying to hit you, well, yeah, that's motivation. And sometimes you got to create that. You got to summon that up, right? You got to, if you don't have any haters, well, you know, you, you better create some and, and make them convincing so you can actually get shit done. Because you, you need that motivation from somewhere. It could be positive, could be negative, could be from somewhere within. As long as you get shit done, I'm not sure if it matters as long as, again, it suits your personality. When I saw I, your, post, I like it when yeah. people are nice to me. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I saw your post, Jeff, it made me think. Like 
and again, this is one of those catch 22s in life. Cause I just saw, uh, we were talking about Peter Tia before recording and he was talking with Joe Rogan. They were saying, you know, like their whole life, they've had all this self-hatred and everything, especially a Tia. And, and, and like, he wishes he didn't have to go through that. But it's like, yeah, but if you didn't go through that, you wouldn't be where you are today. You wouldn't be the doctor of Chris Hemsworth and Hugh Jackman and everything. So it's like, but, and I could go into a whole nother tangent here about big, being like the big fish in a small pond and whatnot. But um, at the same token, are we looking for what's better psychologically for you or what's better for your achievement? Because I do wonder, like you look at like Elaine Norton. And he's always talking about how he was bullied in high school. And he's always got to prove everybody wrong. But it's like your whole life is negative emotion. So it's like you're accomplished, I guess. And that's cool. But if if your whole life is constant negative emotion, and I'm not saying that's the case with you, Jeff, but I just wonder, like, if somebody's, I mean, I hear a lot of powerlifters talk about that. They'll, in their later years, say, oh, maybe it wasn't good that, like, I'd get to the bar and I'd talk about, like, how much I hate myself and, like, these horrible, horrible thoughts. And, like, I've even, I mean, there was a, tragic thing that went through in my life and i remember thinking about it one time and i set a pr but afterwards i was like that was not a pleasant thought <laughs> you know it was not good that to use that as motivation so um it, obviously it's going to be individual but i think an interesting question would be would you rather be happy or rich uh, because i mean obviously that's like kind of a weird way of phrasing it like it uh, but if you're like if you're accomplished and so you have all these maybe negative things that are are motivating you to do what it takes to be accomplished then you at least will be in in a position in life where you can do things actively much more effectively to be happy i guess like it just opens up more doors for you whereas like if you're even like first of all there are not that many people that are just genetically i guess predisposed to like being happy in the face of like really shitty circumstances so if you're like this person you cannot do the things that are required to be successful in life and it's not just about money it's about other things like being fit whatever like like do what it takes to look look better to not be overweight all these things so if you're like like very like calm and not disturbed by all kinds of weird things mentally but at the same time you have nothing that would drive you to be more accomplished then yeah like you will be a very calm person in a not particularly good position in life i don't know yeah i mean i i remember watching i think there was some singer might have been beyonce and someone was interviewing her and they asked what is your goal in life and she said to be happy and I don't remember how old I was, but I thought that was the dumbest fucking thing I'd ever heard. Like, that's your goal. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yeah, yeah so I would take the accomplishment. Um, probably wouldn't be financial. I don't have, I'm not particularly materialistic at all um, to the point of absurdity. Um, but I would rather produce something. I would rather create something. I would rather change the world for the better and help people rather than just be happy. Like I, I am almost laughably unconcerned with my own happiness. And, you know, perhaps that is to my detriment at times, but it's just not a huge priority. Yeah. Well, good luck for anybody who just has a goal of being happy. Right. I, I mean, generally happiness, if we call happiness being having generally positive emotions, the majority of the time that comes from incrementally working towards worthwhile goals. Right. So 
and you have to determine what's worthwhile for you. But if you're just like, I just want to be happy, like, how do you define that goal? How do you work towards that? It, it comes from constant progress, maybe not constant, but incremental progress over time. And oftentimes when you have people who have as a goal, be happy, you end up with people who just chase pleasure. So they end up following a philosophy of hedonism because they confuse the pleasurable sensation of food, sex, drugs, whatever, with what happiness is. Happiness cannot be this. Happiness is a sustained sensation that falls like nothing. I think that's what happiness is. It's just stable emotions. For the longest time, that's what men define as happiness. But now you have a generation of men who don't seem to quite understand that. So they chase these highs. But the highs have to always be higher and higher and higher to be as satisfied uh, as uh, as satisfying as they used to be, and now you end up with something that is both unsustainable and very destructive, as opposed to yeah having a goal, working towards that goal, and finding happiness in this, in the fulfillment of the goal, which also by the way is going to lead to a better society, a society where everyone wants to be happy tends to be very self-centered, very egoistical because you end up only thinking about yourself. Whereas one where we will all actually try to achieve greater things would benefit everyone, including us. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, and it's usually the times that I think back to um, where I say I, I think there was a happy period or, or not, not, not happy period, but I'm at least happy thinking back to it. It's often not times when everything was like just super steady and I was like uh, completely balanced, like no big ups and downs in emotion, no no traumas. Uh, actually, a lot of my best best periods looking back where I feel like, I mean, that's when things really happened to me. Like that's when I look back and I just feel so like alive during those periods or felt so alive. The, like actually a lot of shitty things happened to me, like some traumatic things even. But but holy shit, like I remember every moment of those times, like things were always happening. I grew so much as a person and yeah, like I basically I for I had to force myself because of those bad things to really become someone better and and now a more interesting person, definitely because of those than what I would have been. And like, for example, last year, like from, let's say, 2000, like September up until like, let's say now. A lot of rough things happened, uh, at least like emotionally, like Dave <laughs> even knows about some of them. Um, but, but honestly, I, I don't, like it was a good year. Like I, I don't think back to it with bad memories at all. The, the bad memories are from times when nothing bad happened. Like, um, it, it was just, but it was boring as hell because literally <laughs> nothing happened. So, and, and that's a very safe environment, right? Like, Mm. no no big ups and downs definitely no traumas but you know but you you wasted those times of your life so yeah anyway i don't know if that goes in line with what nh was saying but i I think that also is probably a personal personality thing because i think some people function well in a quote-unquote boring lifestyle and it allows the lack of drama and everything allows them to succeed and some people, at least outwardly, it sure seems like they thrive in a more dramatic environment, but they, that, I don't want to say it makes them more stable, but it keeps them going by having ups and downs. And I don't know what the right answer for that is. I mean, I've had periods of my life where there were more ups and downs. And I can tell you that it, it almost, it almost makes it harder. I think it's one of the problems with like PD usage is that you get these crazy highs and lows, right? These highs of like, wow, like I'm, you know, the biggest I've ever been, I'm the strongest I've ever been, I'm getting all these compliments. 
And then, oh crap, like my health is bad. I got to, you know, like look at how up and down vigorous Steve is, right? And I, I mean, I like Steve a lot, but just as an example, um, you know, he goes down and then he's lost 30 pounds and now you've got to adjust and you're never going to be where you were before. And I would imagine that this is probably like a drug addict who, you know, it's like, how do you tell a heroin addict, hey, you're going to go the rest of your life and never, ever feel what you just felt again, you know? Um, I don't have any personal experience there, but I would imagine that's that's very tough to, to deal with. Yeah. And this links to personalities also because we sort of know that there are certain personality traits that are going to be more conducive to people chasing drugs, right? Who are very likely to become drug addicts. You have people who do heroin and they've done heroin for 40 years. Every weekend they do one hit. They've never done more than that because the drug doesn't have that ability to tap into their psychology that much. Whereas you have people who try it once and their life is over, right? Within a year, they will OD. It's a different type of person. It's a different personality entirely. But all of this, I think, also links back to, yeah, like what type of environment do you thrive into? I was listening to a, to a philosopher recently who was making the point that people who have a lot of chaos inside them like very structured environments because it's, it's how they can thrive. Because if not, they just explode. Whereas people who tend to be more quote unquote boring and ordered inside will like to have things happen outside of themselves because it sort of motivates them. It makes them feel alive. It's, and you have these, these two personality types that try to actually live together, right? In society, that's, that's interesting because it's like a constant battle. And the, I don't think there's a right answer. I don't think that it's mm-hmm. possible to say, well, this one is, is obviously better. But I think that trying to thrive for something more stable, at least for fitness, is what makes the most sense. Yeah, for sure. So I know we're going pretty long here. We'll wrap up on like just a final topic. It's more just what are you guys doing? So we talked a little bit beforehand. Um, I know Jeff, you're cutting, but just kind of like, you know, future goals here. We're all pretty far in into lifting, uh, whether you count the serious years or not, you know, it's been a while for all of us. So um, let's start with you, Abel, because we, you know, I know you were bulking up recently to your heaviest you've ever been and you hit some new arm gains, right? You finally surpassed 16 inches. Yes. Uh, yeah. So not, not sure if uh, now, for example, I don't see any difference. I feel like this looked exactly the same like two years ago, but <laughs> let's see the other one. This one looks smaller. Okay. This was horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, but, but honestly, so I, that's uh, one thing I'm, I'm hopeful for that I will, when I die at Danup will stay at least 16 because that has never happened before. So before that, if I went over 90 kilos, it went over 16, but as soon as I would go below that, it would go right back down. Um, and now it was actually like a bit closer to 17 when I went heavier. So I, I would hope that it, it, something will stick. And other than that, it's, I'm still, well, actually, there's some an exciting change with my training, um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm cutting down now. Um, not being as disciplined with it as I should be, but honestly, I, I sort of just accepted that like this, now the environment is very uninspiring for cutting, for example, like the weather is always shit. Um, going out for a walk is torture. So, and, and I know that like it, there comes this point during the year when the weather just warms up like clothing is getting tighter, like you're infinitely more motivated, like the incentive is right there to like cut back a little bit more to look better. And it's just so much easier to cut at that point. So I'm just gonna be disciplined-ish, but nothing crazy up until that point. Then it should be like 
very soon when that comes. And we're training for the first time ever, maybe actually have, have a workout partner at the moment. <laughs> this is how lifters talk. Like, he was like, hey, I have a new dance partner or whatever. But yeah, I, I saw, I actually, um, be, so basically what we are doing with this guy is like, um, basically like antagonistic exercises to one another. So like a row and some horizontal press, and we are just like kind of alternating. And that's good because this way we can basically hog equipment in, in the gym without hogging it. So like one of us is doing one and the other one is doing the other. And I mean, it's crazy. So first of all, when you're working out together with someone and like you chat a little bit and whatever, it's so much easier to do like four or five sets on an exercise, whereas normally like two, three and okay, like I need to do something else. I can keep doing the same muscle group, but something else because it's so boring. Um, like this way it's yeah, like four sets just fly by even five and so like last time like we did i don't even know like almost like 20 sets in 35 minutes or something absurd like it, it was quite remarkable how much work we could get done so I, i'm so far i'm really enjoying it uh but we'll, we'll see if, if nice. it develops into something more serious just kidding see i haven't had <laughs> I haven't had a, an actual training partner in forever, but I, I very much enjoy when I can like meet up with the college friends and lift. It's just a, for me, it's, it's a really fun environment. Yeah. So Jeff, you're dieting, right? What, what did you get up to? 225? Yeah. 224, 101.7 kilos was my heaviest. What was your waist um, at that? 30.5? I can, I can check. It was, uh, Probably something that'll piss you off. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> 30, 33 was the highest it got to this bulk. Okay. And that's around the navel there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, so the cut, the plan is just to cut. And I'm the leanest I've ever been, I would say, um, at least in the past, you know, since I was a distance runner. At this uh, weight or just period? period oh wow yeah yeah period i would say I, i'm as lean as i i'm as lean as i was two years ago when i was 85 kilos um so i've put on probably five, five to six kilos so 11 10 11 pounds or so maybe 12 pounds Jeez, man, that's crazy um, in the past two years which is yeah it's good going that, that's reasonable uh, though because i mean you haven't been training that long uh at that point yeah, right like a lot of the previous years i had major issues like 2016 i lost to fluff and pump um 2018 was 2017 was okay but like weirdly power building which i don't respond to well at all i found i was gonna out. ask if you had done like intentionally lower volume training uh i have i just don't I have several times. I've done DC training. I did DC oh, yeah. training in 2017, which I did okay with. Hmm. Um, but I've done like power building triples and quadruples and sets of five. And it just doesn't, <laughs> I don't feel like it. I just feel it in my joints and, and nowhere else. And it's just not productive. Um, so I, I do better with higher volumes, slightly higher reps. Um, and then 2018 was a lot of ego lifting. 2019 was a good year, but I spent most of it under 12% body fat. So I lost most of that. And then 2020, 
was a lot of work and not that productive. And then, yeah, 2021, 2022 were my first, like, really, really good years of training. I mean, the other years were, were consistent, a lot of effort, but sometimes diet was not on point. I was too lean or I was doing, you know, not hypertrophy-focused training, et cetera. So I'm going to finish this cutout, get down to maybe 7 8%. As lean as I can over the next two months, I've given myself a deadline. Um, just all of April, all of May, get diced, sliced, and peeled. And then um, I'll probably spend the summer somewhat lean. Uh, I'm not going to rebound. My previous two cut in bulks, I mean, the bulk initially was like probably two pounds a week or something. Just like yeah, stupid, right? <laughs> um, so I'm not going to do that again. Uh, I've sort of made a promise to myself that I'm going to take things more slowly and so june july august will be trying to find exactly how lean i could maintain if i hypothetically wanted to and then i'll go into five to six years of bulking cutting mini cutting massing um putting on you know probably probably another 12 to 15 pounds of muscle and then maybe i'll do another giga cut um when i'm like 38, 39, 40 years old. And then, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. That's kind of far away. That's crazy. Wow. How about you, Anish? Well, I'm, I'm inspired by uh, Geoff. He goes for the big marshmallow every time. Because he's like, <laughs> when I'm 40. Right? See, like, how many people do you hear talk like this? People are like, oh, when I'm 21, I want to be ripped. Okay, good, buddy. You'll never get there. But um, so for me, I'm bulking. And my focus right now is to get as big as possible, which goes without saying. But I'm um, I'm always amazed at how much I constantly rediscover about my own training, where I'm always like, okay, this is the one. Like this is the training program I will never have to change. And then two weeks later, I'm like, oh, I should be doing this instead. <laughs> so I modify the rep range or I modify the approach. Something I discovered recently is that I get my best lower body gains for posterior chain with a mix of good mornings, Romanian deadlifts, and deadlifts. I tried cutting off the deadlifts entirely, and it wasn't working because my progression on Romanian deadlifts was slowed. So now what I do is I deadlift twice a month for three reps. And each time I add five pounds. And it's working. It doesn't, it's, for me, for me it, it didn't make any sense that that low frequency on deadlift would yield results. But so far, it's very smooth, and everything is going up. So I'm constantly doing it. My legs are up to something ridiculous. I think they're around 28 inches now. I started working quads again because I stopped. I did something stupid and maybe you guys can learn from it and the viewers can learn from it as well. I wanted to prioritize arm strings because I thought it was going to balance out my legs. And it did in terms of performance, but my legs looked worse. So they got bigger, but they looked worse because I think that the aesthetic muscle of the leg is the quad. It's not the arm string. So now I'm correcting that and I'm spamming belt squats, split squats, which I hate. It's split squats with a passion. I don't think anybody loves them. Squats. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. It's, it's a torture, but they're so effective that I cannot not do them. And spam biceps again, which that that is, it's my love. I love biceps. I love training biceps. I train them every 48 hours hard. And so far on the problem with recovery, they're growing again. So it's it is it is my favorite portion of my training journey so far. That's awesome. That's great, guys. So all right. Well, 
good discussion here. A lot of practical stuff, a lot of philosophizing. Um, so where can everybody find more of your stuff? We'll start with you, Abel. Uh, thank you. Uh, on YouTube, it's uh, SSD Abel. Uploaded so long ago that I forgot what what it's called for a second. On Instagram, it's Able Fit Stuff, just uh, like that. And I have a website that says The Able. I will have a book very soon. I guess I'm obligated to plug it. Nice. And Jeff? Uh, Jeffrey Verity Schofield. Uh, so actually, some guy in the gym the other day was like, Do you make YouTube videos? I'm like, Yes, I do. And then he typed in my name and it auto completed pretty early, which was cool. Cool to see that someone else. <laughs> oh, so nice. Just Jeffrey Verity Schofield. Uh, hopefully it auto completes so people can find me. And then veritifit.com for books. And each. Um, for me, it's natural hypertrophy everywhere. That's that's the one name that I have. I'm only on Instagram and YouTube. I don't plan on being anywhere else. So if you find me on TikTok, it's not me. Don't send your critical information. Uh, never send critical information. I don't sell stuff. Uh, I post shortlist pictures on Instagram and on YouTube. It's like hour long videos about topics that sometimes have to do with lifting. Sometimes I bamboozle the audience a bit. It's always a surprise. Awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you again. And this will go up soon.